0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places Hebrews chapter 8 and Romans chapter 8? In a Bible study that I've entitled, Freedom in the New Covenant. Freedom in the New Covenant. In Romans, or excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, speaking of Jesus, it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises, Paul's writing to a group of Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians that are being tempted to go backwards to the ceremonies and the rituals and the religious system of Judaism. They have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have been born again. They have seen the fulfillment of everything that they waited for. They were looking forward to the coming of Messiah. Every time they would read the scriptures, it would say Jesus or Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. They have embraced Jesus as their savior and yet the temptations to leave the simplicity of the gospel are ever before them. So much so that Paul would take his quill in hand and write them a letter to say, look, don't go backwards. You have the better covenant. Actually, you have the best covenant. Live in the new covenant, not the oldness of the law. Now come back to Romans chapter eight because in Romans chapter eight, we find the encouragement of Paul to the Roman believers now about the grace of God. But as you know, Romans chapter eight comes after Romans chapter seven. And Romans chapter seven You could call the confessions of an exhausted believer, an exhausted believer. As Paul the Apostle looks back on his life, talking about his own past situation, the wrestlings and the strugglings, the battle that he fought was the law. The law made him exhausted because he found that the law could not make him perfect. You see, we learned last time that the law is holy, just, and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. Remember, we want to be careful when we use the word better that we don't then associate, well, you know, then the law is worse. That's not the language of the New Testament. The law is good, holy, and just, and serves a purpose. The problem with the law, the problem with the law then, and any kind of legalistic attitude today is simply this. It has no power to change you. The law, a list, if I gave you today in your bulletin five things to be the best Christian you could possibly be, you could follow them, you could strive to follow them, but that piece of paper, that list, has no power to change you. All it does is remind you of your shortcomings. And your failures. I mean, why would a list of five things be necessary if you already did the five things? So every time you look at the list, you're like, well, I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm not this. I need to be this. And that's the weight and the pressure of the law. Romans chapter 7, that's where Paul is. He's exhausted. It is difficult. He is bound by the rules and the regulations and religion. He even would communicate to us that he was married to the law. That he loved the law so much that he seemed like there was no escape. There was no way out of it. And yet, in the freedom of the law, he starts looking back at his life. Notice with me in verse 14 of Romans chapter 7. Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And you guys might want to mark verse 18 if you haven't already, because you need to not only acknowledge this, but believe it, where he says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And you know, not many people say amen to that, but you should, and you should realize that there's nothing good in my flesh. There's nothing good in my resources and in my mind when I am thinking on my own, when I'm trying to figure it out. There's nothing good in my flesh. Nothing. Zero. There's nothing good. Now remember, flesh isn't just referring to the flesh and bones. That's normally how we would use that phrase, flesh and bones. Spiritually and in context here, the flesh is referring to your old sinful habits, it's referring to your Actions apart from being led and empowered by the Spirit of God. And he says, in my flesh, in what I have to offer God, and who I am, there's nothing good. There's nothing good that comes out of my flesh. Notice verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I don't do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I find then a law that evil is present with me and the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law according to the inward man. But I see a law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. And notice his conclusion. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is writing here in the new covenant. He's writing here as a born again believer. And yet even as we walk in the freedom of the new covenant, the freedom, you know, we might use the word grace to describe the new covenant. Even as we walk by the grace of God, we struggle. Anybody say an amen to that? Do you struggle? Have you sinned today? (laughs) No, Ed, so far it's so good. Praise God. It's coming, the weakness of our flesh. I mean, think about the struggle. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I'm living life and I love God. I serve him with my life. He's everything to me. I've dedicated everything in my life to God and yet the things I wanna do, I don't do. And the things I don't wanna do, I do. And I'm frustrated because I'm looking for a way out. I'm looking for a way not to live in the struggle I'm looking, as a matter of fact, in the battle, Paul says, what a wretched man that I am. I'm exhausted and I'm tired. It's a frustrating thing to live under a set of rules and regulations, to, to, to live under um, the obligation of following every single point in the law because you're only gonna end in failure. I mean, if there were 100 things listed out and you were so happy that you got to 95, you still got five more. And now the pressure mounts and the difficulties arise and you find yourself underneath the law. It doesn't free you. It doesn't, the law doesn't liberate you. It oppresses and it holds down. Many people think that that's where the place of safety is found, but the place of safety is found in the new covenant. I mean, just reading through chapter 7 can make us exhausted as we begin to think about our own life. You think about what happened this week, this last week. You know, this last week. Let's take it away from just today and say, hey, sometime this last week, you remember or you acknowledge that you sinned. Anybody sinned this last week? Okay, let me just put it this way. If you sinned last week, say, hey. Hey. So everybody knows. It's a little bit quiet over here, so this is the good section. Let me. I woke you guys up, those of you that were sleeping. I think we all can say, hey. Man, that's my life. I, I look at that day and it wasn't a good day for me. I was discouraged, I was beat up. Or as we'll see in a moment, that also some of you live under this cloud of condemnation because you're ever before you is the failure of your own life and choices and decisions. It's always before us. And we ask the question, why am I doing this? Why did I do that? I'm trying, I'm trying, Lord. I, I just don't know how to make it happen. And I don't like what's coming out of my life. I don't like what's coming out of my mouth. I don't like the thoughts that are in my head. I don't like them, Lord. And I don't understand what's happening. And you finally come to that place, what a wretched woman, what a wretched man that I am. Who's gonna deliver me? Who's gonna deliver me? Can I ask you to circle that word who in verse 24? Circle that word who, because this is a key ingredient in walking in freedom. Because when we get to a place of frustration, maybe in your marriage right now, you're sitting together but you're really mad at each other. and You're really frustrated. Or you're, you're a single person today and you're just really frustrated, maybe even with God. Or you've just gone through a breakup and you're like, you know, I don't like being single and I, I don't like this, and, and I just don't. How am I gonna get out of this? How am I gonna reconcile my marriage? How am I gonna deal with my single? How am I gonna make things right? And the question so many times is how? But I want you to notice that when you get to the place of the end of yourself, how is not the right question to ask. I meet a lot of people, and maybe you do too, a lot of born-again believers with the power of God in them that spend most of their life asking how. That may even be when you come up after the service today for prayer. You came to church today with a how question. That's what God has gotten your attention with. How will I get through this pastor? How will I be able to overcome this pastor? How do I deal with this pastor? How? But it's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is not how, but who? Listen, how, how puts the emphasis upon you. You're told something, you do something. But who places the emphasis properly upon God who empowers you, that leads you into victory and leads you into spiritual success. It's not how, it's who. It's a subtle difference in our lives. Of course, there's going to be actions to be taken. There's going to be obedience to come, but that's not the emphasis. That comes secondary to, man, I'm in love with Jesus. You know, you get to the place, pastor, tell me what? Brother, show me church tell me what bible study should i listen to what book should i read but the real issue isn't how but who it's a person that delivers you and that's where people get it wrong when they think of christianity almost immediately they think of christianity as a religion And that's probably a frustrating place with you as you're sharing with people about maybe an invitation to church or you want to give them a Bible or you want to pray for them. And they may say to you, You know, I'm not into religion. I'm not into religion. I don't want that religious stuff. Well, you can answer, You know what? That's something that we agree on. I'm not into religion either. Because Christianity is not a religion, it's not a set of precepts, it's not 10 steps to a great life on earth. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a person. Christianity is a person indwelling every surrendered person, every surrendered man, woman, and child that's been born again. Christianity centers on Jesus Christ and his empowerment. So when you think of religion, you ask how? When you think of a person, you ask who? Your deliverance is found in a person. Your deliverance is found in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. That on the cross, he has already delivered you and me. And as long as you live your life seeking after the how, you will live in spiritual exhaustion. First of all, it's exhausting trying to find the answer. It's just exhausting because the more you wrestle and the more more people you talk to, the more answers you get. The more people that you talk to, the more people that you're seeking out, the more opinions and attitudes. And it's just exhausting to try to keep up with them. Then it's as exhausting as you start taking people's advice. But then you only find out, well, I tried this and it didn't work. And I tried this and it didn't work. And I tried. And now you're on this never-ending treadmill of trying. I'm trying. And let me just validate that in your life right now. The fact that you're trying. Trying. There's nothing wrong with an attitude of wanting to live a right life. There's nothing wrong with you saying, but Ed, you, you know, I'm really wanting victory and I'm trying. And I wanna commend you in that area because there's other people that aren't trying at all and they've just given up. But I also wanna remind you of a very important principle and that is trying is not doing. And you can become friends so much with trying, you can become friends with the search, you can become friends with the sin, you can become friends with the, with the expedition to find the how, that trying becomes a convenient excuse for simply not obeying and not doing what's right in front of you. Even to the point, some of the things in this room today are so hard and so difficult that words can't describe what you're feeling, what you're going through. Even if you spent 45 minutes explaining how hard it is, it still wouldn't convey the depth of your heart. And yet, you only make things harder through disobedience, through becoming friends, or what is often referred to as idolatry with something or someone other than God. And your sin or your struggle or the identity has become in your struggle and not in the victory not in the who. Notice it was very quickly that Paul answered the question in verse 25. He says, well, in verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but the flesh, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So here's the thing. God recognizes the struggle and God recognizes the difficulty in our lives. And he tells us that we are delivered by his power and that he doesn't condemn us. So that when we choose to condemn ourselves, we are actually resisting the very work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because it's exhausting trying to find the answer. It's, it's exhausting trying different things that you think are the answer. It's exhausting when you continue to fail because that's what the law will do. That's all it will tell you. Every single time you come to one, you know, you, you, you say there's five things on the, on the list that you're dealing with. You know, number one, I'm good. Number two, I'm good. Number three, I'm a failure. Number four, I'm okay. Number five, I haven't even got to yet, but I'm sure when I get to number five, I'll be a failure. You know, all, that's all the law tells us. You have failed, you have failed. That's the purpose of the law. But you and I were never intended to live by the law, but rather to come to the end of ourselves so we live according to grace. So he says, I thank God. Who's gonna deliver me? Who is the who? God through Jesus Christ. It's not a church, it's not another Bible study, it's not someone's book. Those are all great tools to get our eyes back on the Deliverer. Because there's no condemnation now for those that are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse two, the law of the Spirit of life. This is Romans eight. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And verse three is so key. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Let's pause there for a second. What is it that the law could not do it could not make you righteous. That's what the law couldn't do. You'll see that in a moment. But what the, law, what the law couldn't do, it couldn't empower you. It couldn't make you perfect. As a matter of fact, the law did just the opposite. It showed you your failure. And so what the law couldn't do, mark this, God did. What the law didn't do and couldn't do, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirement of the law was what? Perfection. That's the righteous requirement of the law. God requires perfection. And yet the law couldn't make you perfect. It can't make you perfect, ever. The law has no power in and of itself. It's a reflection of the holy, and, the holy and righteous character of God. The law itself, we've learned, is holy, just, and good. But what it couldn't do, God did. You could put that the banner over your entire life. What you're unable to do, God did. What you're unable to overcome, God overcame. What you're unable to face, God empowers you to face. What you, what you are unable to do, God does. And the more and more we realize our inability, the more and more we will rely upon the power of God. The newness of the Spirit of Christ is the hope in you, the hope of glory, the deliverance of God, the grace of God. Turn over to Genesis chapter 6, the grace of God. You see, what God did for us, we can't do. And yet we keep trying to do what we can't do which is yet another layer of frustration and exhaustion. Because you see other people around you and go, well, if they can overcome it, I should be able to overcome it. And so you jump in with your own energy, your own efforts, your own wisdom, and now you're gonna fix what's broken. But you're actually the problem. You're broken. And so you have a broken person trying to fix a broken person trying to fix a broken situation, and all it does is it just keeps breaking you, breaking you, breaking you, till you go, well, Ed, what's the end? When is it going to end? When you finally surrender. Because the life that is not surrendered to God faces one broken situation after another. Notice that the grace of God is a theme throughout the scriptures. It's not just introduced to us in the new covenant. I want you to notice in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 6 here, because it's so encouraging, and I want you to say this with me when I get there. It says, but Noah found, what does your Bible say? Grace. Grace. What did Noah find? He found grace. This is way back before any of the Mosaic covenant. This is before the law. You see, God's, his nature is gracious. Grace is not some doctrine that you have to figure out and spend weeks after weeks after weeks studying. So grace is not what man has made it. As if you've got to sit through and you've got to learn it this way and you've got to learn it only this way. And then once you learn grace this way, then you'll be free. God never intended grace to be a doctrine to be learned. God intended grace to be a doctrine to be enjoyed. And it's very simple. Grace is very simple. You deserve nothing. And yet God has given you everything. You deserve nothing. And that's another place of frustration, isn't it? We get mad at God thinking we deserve. Don't, don't talk to God about what you deserve. Please, don't do that. Because the Bible is very clear that we deserve an eternal separation from God. Even if it was just one mistake in our lives. Even if it was just one sin. That sin nailed Jesus to the cross. It's not what we deserve. It's what God desires to lavishly, love, you know, pour out his love lavishly on us. Overflowing. I was thinking about that, you know, it's really the difference between enjoying a little piece of candy, a little chocolate, a little, you know, you could get a, they, they make these mini sizes. That should be illegal. That's not even enough, that's not even, like, there's more paper than chocolate. But I get it, you know, you get the mini sizes, so I eat about 20 of them because they're mini, they don't, they're so small they don't matter. But then you could get the mini size and then you could get the, you know, the larger bar, you know, and then you could get, they make these big bars the huge ones, a couple pounds. But then if you really like chocolate, you can get one of those, what do they call them? You know, um, you know, not um, fountains of chocolate where you can just go up and just eat it straight up. We've had fountains here at various events and if you're doing chocolate, that's the way to go. Get a fountain. And you know, a lot of people treat the grace of God like that, sometimes they just look at the grace of God like a little piece of candy, just a little mini size. And it's good and it lasts a little while, but then it's over and I'm back to my own efforts and my own energies. And then maybe someone goes to a larger piece and portion of grace and you're enjoying that. And then someone then goes, well, I saw, you know, I was shopping the other day and there was a two pounder. I got that one, that should last me about a week. Great. But you know, some people have tapped into the grace of God and it's like a fountain. Remember, Jesus put it a different way. He didn't use chocolate as an illustration, he used water. And he said, if you come to me out of the abundance of your heart will flow rivers of living water from the inside. You see, this concept of grace is throughout the scriptures because God is a gracious God. From the very creative act that we read of in Genesis chapter one, it's a demonstration of the grace of God because God didn't have to do that. He is completely satisfied in and of himself, our God. He needs and wants nothing from us in order to exist. Everything that we have in order to relate to Him is gracious. He invites us into His life and imparts life to us. And so, Noah, by the time Noah comes and by the time we open up chapter 6, the rebellion of man is bringing about the judgment of God. And yet, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace. He didn't find judgment, he didn't find condemnation, he found grace because he too was a sinner and he too failed and he too deserved wrath and the outpouring of this rain and storm and flood that's about to come. But we read that he found grace. And notice in verse 13, he was instructed and that's what grace brings, grace brings instructions. So once he found grace, it says, Noah was told in verse 13, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I'll destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark, or a large ship. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Circle that word pitch. Right next to it, the Hebrew word kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R, kafar. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe atonement. It, It speaks of covering. So this ark is to be covered, which makes the ark a beautiful picture of salvation. It makes the ark a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And it's a very simple picture. Even the kiddos can understand it when we teach it downstairs. Even your kids understand this. Everyone inside the ark was saved and everyone outside of the ark was judged, right? The way to be saved was get in the ark. That's the only way to be saved, get in the ark. God didn't even let Noah, the, the salvation of Noah didn't even depend upon whether he could close the door or not. God closed the door. God sealed them in. And so, when you say Noah was in the ark, that's the same as saying you and I are in Christ. That's the only place to get saved. The only place to receive the forgiveness of your sins is to be in Christ. The only place to experience the grace of God is to be in Christ. The only place to experience victory over the besetting, exhausting sins of Romans 7. Because I have to say this a lot of people choose to live in Romans 7 and never leave, this is their identity. Well, yeah, that's my life. I'm always struggling. I'm always battling. Uh, the things I want to do, I don't want to do. I know. And, and the things I don't want to do, those things I do. I know. And they're just in this constant, exhausting cycle of Romans chapter 7. And they never want to leave. They just stay, oh, wretched man that I am. And they've resolved. Perhaps that's you. You've resolved to live in Romans 7. The, the, the fleshlands, if you will of Romans seven. It's like Noah here. Noah, when he was instructed to build the ark, it's notable what didn't happen. It's notable what God didn't tell Noah. You know, I'm glad that God didn't tell Noah, build the ark, cover it with pitch, the storm is coming, I'm gonna judge the world, and here's how you're gonna get through. This is how you'll make it, Noah, because you found grace. You found grace, so I've given you the way. This is what I want you to do. After you're finished building the ark, make sure that you put eight pegs on the outside of the ark. You can put four on this side and four on that side. And then at the first hint and drop of rain, and as the waters begin to to fill up and begin to rise, this is how you're going to be saved, Noah. This is it. You ready? Hold on for dear life. I don't read that in the Bible, do you? But isn't that a silly picture? I'm glad he didn't say that. He could have. He could have said, just hold on. You're gonna make it, hold on. And you know, Noah, if he was told to do that, you know what he would have done? He would have built eight pigs and he would have held on for dear life. But how long would he have lasted? I mean, how long would you last? I'm sure we would would say, well, if that's the way to do it, then I'll do it and I'll hold on, I'll hold on. And so there you are holding on for about an hour. And then the water's coming and the water, you know, it's just, you're all tossed to and fro and you're, whoa, and then, you know, then, then you can't do two hands anymore. Then you do one hand, and then that one gets tired. Then you do another hand and then you figure out how to, you've got it all figured out and you last about five hours. Well, the rains came for what? 40 days and 40 nights. It was an impossibility. You couldn't hold on. It's impossible. That's not what God said. God didn't say build pegs and hold on. God said, get in and rise above the storm, because that's what the ark did. The ark took them above the judgment of God. You could say that Noah and his family found grace in the eyes of God. They floated along the waters of judgment by grace. Did they deserve it? No. Did they earn it in some way? No. God, well, the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's, you parents, you understand this. You grandparents, you totally understand this. Of course, I've raised my children into adulthood now, but when they were little, we were crossing the street or maybe walking in the parking lot here or uh, wherever we'd be in a dangerous, in, in a dangerous place, if, if I've surveyed the place very quickly and I recognized there was no danger, I would just have them grab my pinky, grab my hand, and they'd usually grab my pinky and we'd walk across. And they'd have that sense that they're holding on to daddy and, and that they're gonna make it to the other side and we're gonna get through. And most of the time, that's how we would hold hands. We'd be in the mall, perhaps. They'd just hold my pinky, and they'd be there, you know, and then, you know, they'd be way behind, and I'd have to pull them along, and and they would hold on. But I'll tell you what, what they didn't understand, and what they probably didn't even care about, really, is that at the first hand of danger, I became a ninja. And my hand flipped around so fast to grab them because I wasn't going to allow them to be in a place of danger. Now, they didn't think about this. We didn't sit down and explain. I didn't explain that every time we walked across the street. I didn't sit down and explain to them, look, you're going to make it okay. Yeah, but daddy, daddy, I just can barely hold on. Just don't worry about it. I got you. Just hold on. But what they didn't understand, and I don't know what age they did understand, is that as long as they were with me, they were safe. It wasn't going to be depending on them holding on to my pinky that I could flip around in a heartbeat, grab them, carry them, whatever I needed to do, get them out of the way. Because here's the thing. For those of you that like to live in Romans 7, often the language of your mouth and the language of your head is simply this. And you've heard this. Again, this is a common phrase. When you ask a brother, how you doing? What do they say? Hanging in there. And they really mean it. That usually, that usually comes with a, you know, kind of a sunken shoulders and the head go down, I'm hanging in there. It's, that usually means they've had a hard, a hard week, a hard month, a hard year hanging in there. But the idea of hanging in there only makes things harder because when you're hanging in there, you don't see any way out. You don't see any way you're gonna get through. It was a bad week, so if you had a bad week, then you're probably gonna have another bad week. And when you're just hanging in there, when you're just holding on to the pinky, like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through it. I see all the danger, the, the waters are flowing. You know, if you can get the picture of Noah just holding on, how you doing up there, Noah? Hanging on, man, hanging on. All right, Noah, you made it five hours. Maybe you'll make it six. Yeah, but God said 40 days and 40 nights of this. I know, bro, you're toast. You're not gonna make it. It's just not gonna happen. Until you learn to get inside the ark, that's covered with the atonement of God. Until you and I finally surrender and say, you know what, this competition of holding on, I did five hours, you did four hours, I'm better Christian than you, you're a better, it's all nonsense. We all need to find grace in the sight of the Lord. Nobody's better than anyone else. And God's victory for you is the deliverance of Jesus Christ. You don't have to hold on. As a matter of fact, if that's you today, And I had asked you how you're doing and you're like, hey, Ed, I'm just hanging on. My counsel to you is let go. Let go. The greatest sense of your frustration and exhaustion will begin to dissipate as soon as you let go. But Ed, you don't know what that means. You're right, I don't know what that means. It could be great consequence. It could be great pain. It could be greater difficulty because that's usually why we're holding on We're trying to minimize the pain and the sorrow and the difficulty in our lives, but all the while, we're just making it worse because we're leaning on our own strength, our own wisdom, we're exhausted, we're frustrated, everyone around us is exhausted and frustrated, and you're not going to make it 40 days and 40 nights. You're not going to make it a year in your own strength. You're not going to make it a second in your own streak. It's all an illusion. If that's you today, just let go and get in the ark and sit down. Because it's in Christ that you're gonna ride this out. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And with grace, God didn't say, I'm gonna give you the sufficient, complete package in Jesus Christ, except that you've gotta hang on to make it. No, that's Romans seven. Romans seven is the endless cycle of trying and failing, trying and failing, and you don't even understand how frustrating is that? The things I wanna do, like I wanna be, I wanna do what's right, I wanna obey, I wanna be a better believer, I want all of that for my life, but I don't do it. And you can see list after list after list of the frustrations of living according to the flesh. Come back now as we close in Romans chapter eight. Somehow my timer stopped up here so I have extra time. So it says I have 20 more minutes. I don't know, I must have clicked it. I love this, We've, I know some of this is review, but it's okay, it's okay to be reminded of the glorious grace of God. You be careful of anybody that says, oh you don't understand grace until I teach you a system. It's not a system, it's, it's not a religious system, it's not a set of studies. Grace is profoundly simple. It's God's strength and power and presence in your life. What the law couldn't do, what the church couldn't do, what the pastor couldn't do, what my own efforts couldn't do, God did by sending his own son Jesus Christ to die on your behalf. And I now live a surrendered life. It's one of the ways when you're worshiping and you put your hands up, it's one of the, one of the ways of worship is surrender. It's surrender. And so he says in Romans chapter 8 verse 2, it says, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And remember the law of sin and death is referenced here, the Mosaic covenant. And it's holy, just, and good. However, However, the law of the spirit of life in Christ is the new covenant. It's the new agreement that Jesus made. And like gravity, the oldness of the law doesn't go away. But as, remember we we looked at last time, the plane's taking off. On the ground, they're subject to the law of gravity. But when an airplane takes off into the sky, it's subject to new laws, thermodynamics and thrust. It doesn't mean gravity's gone away. It just means there's a greater law at stake here. And so now, the spirit of the law of life in Christ has made us free. It's not by working hard, it's not by following rules and regulations, not by dressing right, not by reading your Bible more, not by, not by any of the things that we might measure out in Christianity, it's simply by surrender, an abiding life, moment by moment, taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And right away, the flesh responds. And I know some of you are responding to me like that as we're having a conversation. It's silent, but we're having it nonetheless. Some of you respond in your mind, it's almost immediate, but I can't, Ed. I can't. I can't take every thought captive. I can't, and whatever it is, I can't get out of this rut. I can't. And as much as that might be rising up as an argument, to a freeing Bible study like this, it's actually the right place to be. You're right, you can't. And what you can't do, God did. And your faith in Jesus Christ has given you the very resurrection power of God inside of you. That's how you've made it this far to begin with. It may not be where you wanna be and it may not be as long, you may not be far along, you may not feel as successful, you may not feel like, you've got a lot of feelings and of thoughts as the condition of your life, but you have made it thus far by the grace of God. And if you've made it thus far, then God is gonna take you all the way. That he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That he will perfect that which concerns me. It may not be as good as we want, and it may not be as free as we want, but what God what God, what you and I couldn't do, God did. And by faith, you access that very power of God by faith. By faith, the flesh can't touch you because God has already done the work. I read a, a little story a few years ago of a, a dad and his daughter. They're walking through the grass, grassland prairies of Canada. And in the far distance, they could see a raging prairie fire that was coming, that, coming their way and in just a few moments, it's going to engulf them. It wasn't too far away. And so the dad knew there was only one way to escape. It wasn't to run away, it wasn't to try to, there was only one way to escape the fire that was coming. And what he did is he got his daughter close and he began. He started a fire in the grass that was around them and let it burn around them. Well, his daughter didn't understand what was going on he says, why would you light a fire when a fire is coming? And as the huge fire drew near, as they stood in the section that was already burned, the flames didn't touch them. Even though his daughter was terrified, but her little, her daddy assured her, honey, the flames can't get to us because we're standing where the fire's already been. Listen, your flesh can't touch you in Christ. The flesh can't touch you as you abide in Christ because the flesh can't touch where Jesus has already been. Are you guys with me? You see the fire and you see the overwhelming sense. You see, you know, let me give you one last thing. One of the exhausting things of living in the flesh is your idea of when you're successful. I'll be out of this battle when I arrive here. But the truth is this, you'll be out of the battle the second, the millisecond that you decide to surrender. You go, but Ed, I've done that a thousand times. Yeah. And a thousand times you lived in victory. (laughs) Because it's moment by moment. Right, David? Isn't that true? Yes, it is. Victory. Yes. Victory. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of being reminded today. Thank you for David and his reminder of your victory. He's He's a walking miracle right in our midst. Even as we are, God, we are walking miracles of your faithfulness in our lives. And... The newness of the, of, of, the life of, Christ, of the life of the Spirit in Christ. This is the newness of our lives. Surrender to you. Forgive us, God, for complicating our lives to the point where we aren't acknowledging your moment-by-moment victories. We're not even paying attention to them. We see the raging fires coming to destroy us. And forget that the fires can't touch where the fire's already been. And so, Lord, Lord, purify us with the fire of your word and enable us to live in moment-by-moment moment victory, whether it's depression today, grief, it's a besetting sin, it's a sin of bondage, perhaps, it's a crazy thought life. I pray for that person here today that is really wrestling with anger. They're just very angry. Outbursts of wrath kind of anger. They're out of control. And yet the spirit of God lives in them. You live inside of them. And so I just lift them up to you right now. I mean, if that's you, if you're the one that's just so angry, just acknowledge that to God right now. You don't have to do it in front of everyone. I'm not asking for that. But just respond. You hear me say something, you go, man, that's me. Well, tell God. Just confess your anger to him. Your frustrations i really think that was a word from the lord for someone that you're just out of control and what do you think is going to happen when you're out of control you're going to hurt somebody you're you're going to hurt yourself you're going to scare your kids or somebody at work like just confess it before god confess your flesh today and i'm not asking for you to embarrass yourself I'm not asking for hands or to yell outside, you know, out, yell out loud how fleshly you are. But you know, let God do a work inside. I know that for me, I can confess my, one of the areas of my flesh is I, I let my mind wander. I don't take thoughts into captivity. And I, it's not because I can't. It's because I won't. And that's a sin. And I see it too often in my life where one thought Will take me down a path you know sometimes the world calls that pessimistic but the bible just calls it sin and you can confess that that's mine so you know that i don't know what you're dealing with but it just dogs me every day of my life but then not every moment because god gives me victory and even in the last hour and a half worshiping my mind has been centered on jesus and i love the freedom <laughs> to worship and to sing I love the freedom to listen to the Bible and at least for 90 minutes our minds are focused. So Father, pour out your Spirit upon us. We acknowledge to you our weaknesses and our sins and we just ask for that daily moment by moment victory that comes through an abiding life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora.